All right, everybody. Uh, this is Mana Sculpting. Uh, this is our eighth episode now, and uh, we're gonna hop right into it. We have a super special guest on today uh, with us. We have uh, Brian David Marshall um, from Top Eight Magic and uh, the Magic Historian uh, on the cast. Uh, Brian, you wanna say a quick hello? Hey, everybody. It's Brian. And uh, as always, uh, Wally Bullard's also on the cast as well. Hey, guys. So uh, Brian doesn't have a whole lot of time left today, so we wanna we wanna hop right into it and kind of just kind of get some of his opinions. Um, as you our listeners know, uh, we talk a lot about a standard magic, um, but today we're gonna kind of cover a variety of topics, and uh, and we're happy to do it. Uh, so first, uh, Brian, we're gonna bounce some uh, kind of like time machine questions off you, and uh, we were okay. wondering uh, if you could pick any two standard decks uh, to kind of duke it out. Um, so this is kind of like a Jun versus Cobblade, or like Fairies versus sure. Affinity, stuff like that. Like, what two decks would you love to see kind of duke it out? Wow, that's uh, pretty tough. I, you know, I've had an interesting discussion with, uh, ongoing discussion with Mike Flores of the, where Mike feels that the two best errors, modern errors of standard deck building, were right around the, the, the 2000 era, when we were running the neutral ground grudge match, which is sort of like a, I guess in some ways a predecessor to the to the modern Star City, Star City Games Open series, mm-hmm. you know, it was one of the it was one of the first regular ongoing like somewhat high profile standard events. Yep. And so you had a lot of decks that came out of that era. Um, you know, Standstill Psychotog by Zeb Gerwitz. You know, he, he more or less invented that. Donlin's replenished deck. Uh, you know, Mike, Mike Flores' Napster deck comes right out of that. Uh, most of the modern uh, Fires decks were really, like, forged in, in that format. But, I mean, I'd kind of like to see how uh, Flores' Napster that won John Finkel Nationals would go up against, you know, Cobblade. Okay. Because, you know, those, those are kind of like, those are kind of like the champions that emerge from each of those eras. So yeah. I'd, I'd like to see like a grudge match of sorts between those two decks. Sure. So like while we're on that subject, uh, and one of the other one of the listener questions we had emailed in when they heard you were going to be on the cast was, um, what do you think of this current environment of standard? Um, like with the TCG player every weekend, Star City Games. Like, what is kind of the impact that's having on the game in your opinion? And is it has that been seen before? No, I don't. I don't think we've ever seen. Uh, this much standard being played at such a high level of play. Right? Like the only, the only really comparable time I can I can find is is, is that Grudge Match era, and that really was a regional thing, right? Like, sure. Uh, I mean, you had a lot of great players come out of it, but no, I don't think there's any, been anything like this where there's this many repetitions that you're able to so easily define the best deck. I think a lot of people have talked about the idea like, oh, Cobblade's so much more dominant than other decks. And, like, no other deck has gotten the opportunity. You know, we didn't see what would have happened to Affinity. We didn't get to see what would have happened to Replenish. You know, they, they had these very narrow windows of standard play. Right? Mm-hmm. So there was no real, like, people were like, oh, they should be banned. This card should be, you know. Like, you know, people always talk about that. But we haven't had this much opportunity to see people just take a deck and like tweak it, tune it, and adjust it every week. 
like we are right now. Yeah, we we talked on our last cast a lot about like the difference between what it's like to brew and what it's like to like basically take a net deck and then what it is like to tweak a deck. And this level of tweaking, like you were saying, I don't think it's ever been done before. And it like week in, week out, being able to then smash it against everyone else who's been tweaking, you know, their same list. It seems like that would just create an environment where the best deck has to emerge. Right. And, but if, and, if you want, if you wanted to carry the the analogy of the brewer further, you could sort of say like brewers and distillers. Mm-hmm. Well, I like right? that. Like, people who are just distilling down like the best deck to its purest, uh, most you know, cleanest form. Yeah, for sure, and I think that's the environment we currently have, and and uh, I think it's I think it's awesome personally uh, that we kind of are able to do that. Uh, so that's my two cents. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think it's fun, and I mean, I, 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 again, I think it'll be interesting to me to see if at this brewing has been actively discouraged in the closing weeks of the Star City Open, right? Mm-hmm. Like. People are not encouraged to play another deck besides Cobblade. I'm sure people were, you know, saying, hey, Flora, shut up about Blue Red Splinter Twin. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm sure that there are people who wanted to for this big, you know, invitational closing week event. You know, they're, they're, it's in their best interest to just sort of grind with Cobblade. Yeah. And you know, what's I, interesting. And they, may very well, they may very well bring Cobblade into the, into the finals, but. I, I, I feel like if there's, if there's something else, if, if Splinter Toy is good enough, and if, you know, these other, you know, some of the other decks that people have talked about, like this blue-green glass cannon or, or whatever, if those decks are real, then we're going to find that out this weekend. Yeah, definitely. And what's interesting is, what I noticed is that even, like, Conley Woods recently, actually today I think it was, put out an article that said, like, I've always been the brewer's best friend, but lately I've come to see, like, in this new environment, you just have to choose a deck that optimizes your chances of winning, right? Especially when you're at that high level of, of competition, sometimes it forces even the most innovative brewers to just take up the list that you know is the best deck, if you will. Right. Well, especially for those guys, like, like the Woods and the and the, and the Brad Nelsons and the AJ Sockers and the Drew, you know, all these guys who are just better players and the players around them. Mm-hmm. Like. Why should they hobble themselves? Yeah, by playing an inferior deck. With, 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 with something that may or may not be inferior, right? Like they're sure. basically scratching. They're, they're playing a scratch off deck. Sure. They don't. They don't know how well it does against the field because they just don't have the opportunity to get so many repetitions. They know exactly how Cobbley does against the field. They've played Cobbley more than any other player. You know what I mean? Around them, they're they're better. You know what I mean? They're, they're just going to have the advantage in a complex mirror match. Exactly. Exactly. So, like, a you know, good enough player doesn't give himself, always give himself that credit, but he's a good enough player that if he plays the best deck in certain situations, you're going to see him be rewarded for it. I mean, Martin Juzer recently, you know, had that sort of eye-opening experience. Martin Juzer's clearly one of the, you know, 10 or 15, yeah, probably 10 best players in the world. This guy is just terrific. But he was playing these asinine deck choices at events. <laughs> yeah, I- you know, I read your article and, and when you he, highlighted that. It was yeah, I totally yeah. agree. <laughs> that it, when you're that you know, much. Martin Juzer, oh, sorry, 
I was gonna say when you're that much better a player than the guy sitting across from you, and the reality is is that he now is even with you because he's just playing the best deck, and your deck's a coin flip. <laughs> like, why are you putting yourself in that situation? Like, you don't do the same thing when you draft. <laughs> so you know why do it when you play constructed? So. Of course, but, you know, yeah. I think week in, week out at the start of the Open, that's not the time. Especially sure. when you're rewarded, you know, like you're, you're, you're sort of incrementally creeping up the levels, you know, and you're getting more rewards for playing. Like, you really just want consistent finishes. Exactly, yeah. So, yeah, and then the other thing we, we mentioned just briefly is, that, like, every best deck started as a brew. Right, so like, Absolutely. there's always going to be room for innovation and for for new brews, if you will, and 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 just you know that will always be encouraged, and no matter what the competitive environment is, because you want to right. have that next you know best deck. Right. So. And, and the time to brew is when M12 comes out, and about two weeks after Innistrad comes out, <laughs> and you exactly. have this you know inc- you know wide open new format in front of you. Great. So, uh, next question on our list here. Uh, so, if uh, if you could play with anyone in a two-headed giant match, who would be the second head, <laughs> say, next to BDM? <laughs> uh, I mean, obviously, it depends. It depends. Am I like, do I want to actually play Magic? I mean, if I, if I don't want to play Magic, if I just want to win, I mean, I'm obviously just going to pick John Finkel. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, just, just, have, just do whatever he says. Just be told know? what to do. <laughs> That's great, man. Um, so, the uh, next question is: Do you have a favorite standard deck of all time that uh, that you like to play? Maybe not that is like the most powerful oh, or that you know most pros play, but your favorite to sit down and play with. My my favorite standard deck is every iteration of How to Keep an Idiot Busy. <laughs> uh, the, or, the, the original version of How to Keep an Idiot Busy was a blue red deck that was built. Um, in the tradition of uh, Top 8 Magic Podcast, you can hear Sirens in the background. Hey, that's uh, fine. We're looking for that flavor. <laughs> um, the Hatsune Miku was a red-blue deck uh, circa just before the release of, I would say, Alliances that was counter spells, you know, power things, lightning bolts, uh, flare, Force and Blade, uh, like twelve, can- like all the all the cantrips I could get in there, and four Felden's canes. Four Felden's canes have just been unrestricted, and so yeah, and Jester's caps had never called this. You were just like you would just keep doing that and doing that and doing that. Uh, once Gay's Blessing came out, the deck became blue, white, green. Yep. Uh, with the green being the Sylvan Library Pursuit of Knowledge, uh, not the Pursuit of Knowledge is green, but 
you know, if you're playing Sylvan, you have to play Pursuit of Knowledge. Sure, yeah. Uh, and Rask and Control Magics. And I had four uh, Moxes in there. I guess it was Crow Mox. I forget which four Mox. It was Mox behind the Megan. Okay, yeah. And uh, I would play Minion of the Waste as the kill card. So I would gain time. If you're wisdom in there, I would gain a ton of life. Uh, and I would only play Minion of the Waste if I could play it for a hundred, pay a hundred life to play it. <laughs> <laughs> It was my favorite standard deck of all time. And, it was, and the, 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 the joke of the deck is, of course, who is the idiot, me or you, that's being kept busy? I'm not sure still. But <laughs> it, was, it was my favorite deck. It was super fun to play. Nice. That's awesome. And the only black sources, and you needed three black to play Minion of the Waves, the, the only black sources were the Chrome Moths or Mock Diamonds or whatever. Whatever <laughs> they were. So those games went to time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. Um... So, a big question, uh, you probably don't know too much about our background, but we're both uh, fairly new players, uh, started playing around the same time last year, um, got into it pretty heavy, uh, we played Kitchen Table Magic around like Urza's Legacy, stuff like that, but okay. we, got, we got drawn back to the game just kind of through promotions and some of our friends picked it up and stuff like that, but uh, what we instantly noticed was that it seems like Magic has grown exponentially like in the last year, maybe two and we were wondering if you had any indication of like what what's kind of driving that growth and this uh, kind of resurgence in popularity in the game. You know, I think a the game has been really like the R and D has been making just you know people you know complain about some of the cards that they've made, but like the, the reality is people are more excited about Magic when there's powerful cards, and sometimes you have to push right up against that limit. Mm-hmm. You know, when when cards are all fair, it's kind of like eh. No one's excited. No one, you know, you don't get that tingle when you're opening up a booster pack. Oh, for sure. <laughs> but, but, but I think that that's a small part of it. But I really, what I really do think it is, is a move away from regional pre-releases towards store-based events. Uh, I think that those, I think store-based events are the way that you, uh, you know, you get into Magic and you go to a store and you, you know, it's near your house and you meet people near you who play Magic, and it's just such a great jumping off point. I think it's, I think that that's been a big part of Magic's growth, and I think another big part of it has been Duels of the Planeswalkers. Oh, really? Like, Duels of the Planeswalkers is such a great place for someone who used to play Magic in Urza's block. You know, it's like, oh, man, I, I miss that game. <laughs> so you can just, you know, spend $10, get a sort of, a, a, a close Magic experience, right? It's not, it's not exactly Magic, but you sure. can sort of also play Solitaire. Yep. Which you can't do in any other form of magic. Mm-hmm, exactly. Yeah. Uh, you know, catch yourself up to speed on the game, learn the cards, learn the, the terminology and the rules. And, uh, so I mean, I think it's a combination of just this really great, you know, duels experience, the, the, the sort of localization of the pre-release experience, and, uh, you know, and, 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 uh, Yeah, I, th- I think what um, one of the biggest things that drove me back to the game was the actually Planeswalker card, um, just the type. Oh, really? Yeah, I, you know, I literally because you know I, I was playing Kitchen Magic and Urza's, and then I picked it up again. Uh, I guess like very end of Alara block, so you know, like uh, last spring, right? So in all reality, like I sat down to a game, played a little bit, and then I saw somebody playing Standard next to me. And they put a Jace the Mind Sculptor on the battlefield. (laughs) 
And so I was like, hmm, what does that do? Like, I've never seen a card like that at all. And then once it was, like, described to me, I was like, oh, my gosh, that's that's really cool. <laughs> and uh, so I instantly went out. What's that? <laughs> well, totally, yeah. And, like, I literally, and Wally knows this, because then he started playing, like, a week after me. We we went out that week and bought a play set of Jace, because I was like, that, like, I just want to deck somebody. Like, that seems like the most fun thing you can do. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm a straight-up blue-white control, like, <laughs> stall it out and then do something really fun to win. <laughs> so... That's awesome. So, yeah, so, yeah, the Planeswalker drew me in uh, totally, and it's been a big reason why. And, like, I just recently read the articles by Mark Rosewater talking about, like, the creation of the Planeswalker card, which was fascinating, um, like, looking back on, like, all the iterations it went through to, like, where it got today. And just that piece of development really highlights, like, the amount of care you were talking about that Wizards puts into, you know, making the game, making it fun, making it exciting, and still keeping it balanced. So um, let's see. Next question we had. Uh, let's use a, another question from our listeners. Um, so let's see. Oh, someone wanted to know uh, if you could share maybe recently what the biggest punt you've ever had in a, in a match. Oh, man, there's so many. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I, I don't have that much time. Uh, you know what? I recently, I recently punted in a feature match at Star City Edison in round four. I you know, I was playing Sephora, I was playing the Blue Green Wave deck, and I literally just did not attack for lethal on the final turn of the game. <laughs> I was watching that. Literally, that was... literally just, it was, there was some complicated stuff, and it was like a two-hour break between the rounds, I was starving, <laughs> um, I was, there was, I let my opponent take something back on the previous turn, and he was like, attack, and he's like, and I'm rewriting damage, and he's like, no, no, I'm not going to attack with this guy. And I said, sure, like, because I, I don't play a lot of tournament magic. I play mostly, you know, with my friends, mm-hmm. which is a more relaxed environment. So reflexively, I let him take it back. Yeah. Uh, it didn't even matter that he took it back, but in my brain, I was like, what have I done? <laughs> I, I transposed life to, like, all sorts of stuff, a perfect storm of idiocy. Well, and I'm just, you know, just being tired and angry with myself, and I just, for whatever reason, juxtapose numbers, and I'm like, I looked for them, and I'm like, yeah, I thought I was going to win this, but, all right, you know, you got it. <laughs> Wally, you said you, were, you said you were watching that, Wally? Yeah, that was, that was one of the first uh, Star City events that I watched. I, I turned around, I was like, oh, I know that guy, and then I was like, oh, no, what's he doing? <laughs> Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, you know, I mean, it, 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 I mean, it, it, 
in my opponent, right? Who like takes something back and just like so discombobulates me by doing something meaningless, and then I'm just so like on my uh, you know chiding myself for being an idiot. Like why did I let him take that back? And it doesn't even matter. I've got the win. Yeah. You know so. And I mean I have a, I have a similar one in a PTQ playing for top eight where. My opponent's searching and logic something, and I add up my mana, and I add up my mana, and I add up my mana, and I'm like, oh, I don't have enough. I guess, you know, I guess I'm still countered, and I have two bears sitting there untapped that I'm just thinking about attacking with, and I could just pay two more with my werebears, and, you know, go on the top eight that event. So that's my other big part. Uh, I wouldn't remember that except for the fact that Mike reminds me of it every single time we talk about magic. <laughs> so, uh, getting to that, we actually wanted to uh, compliment you hugely. We we're, we listen to the Top 8 Magic podcast. You and Mike are obviously good friends. But one of the great things you do, and, and this is in all your coverage, but especially in these podcasts, is a lot of times you slow these pros down and you make them explain what appears so obvious to them so that the rest of us can actually get some insights into why they're doing what they're doing. Uh, I, I really appreciate that you noticed that because that's... That's very hard to do with these guys. <laughs> it is. You know, Mike gets on a roll where he's like, it's obvious you play this, or obviously that's the best play, and, and you do a really great job of saying, Mike, like, why is that the best play, or why does this card do that? And so we really appreciate that. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. I, that, that's great to hear because, I mean, that's certainly something that we talk about a lot on the, on the, on the, you know, in the back room and when we're doing coverage is we talk about that a lot. Like, the idea is, like, to me... I've been playing a long time, and, you know, if someone casts Rite of Flame, that's a ritual to me, right? Mm-hmm. Or just to use an example of something that, so they'll say, oh, he rituals, and he rituals, and someone who doesn't have the experience may, not, may have never even seen Dark Ritual. Oh, yeah. Right? Like, they might not make that connection to some red spell that's making mana, right? Yeah, so, like, exactly. Um, you know, it's, it's, and it, it, it really involves retraining your brain sometimes. And to think about all the people that might be listening and not just, you know, uh, the, the temptation is to always talk to your friends. Exactly. Um, you know, have the same level of experience as you, but that's not, that's, that's definitely not the case. Yeah, for sure. So that's awesome. So, um, the, uh, next question. Oh, what is. My editor, I'm going to make my editor to listen to this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he'll be so happy that someone <laughs> yeah, no, it's 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 great because uh, you know a lot of these articles, and this is actually what I love most about like I think the best writers like go on to explain you know the intricacies of of like their deck and the way it works and and the plays they made. Like I just read an article by Apollo, and I think he's very good at identifying like the punts he has and like the play mistakes instead of highlighting like the great plays because. You know, the great plays should just be, you know, plays you make in the game. Like, the punts are where you actually learn, and you're like, oh, you know, like, you don't have to actually do that when playing the stack or, or things like that, which which actually makes, you know, the readers better players rather than just telling us this is what the deck does. Okay, we know that, but, like, what does the deck not do is sometimes more important. I, I, I think that, uh, you know, I, I have an argument about Paul and Mike a lot because, you know, Paul and Mike have have beef, as they say. You know, they, they, don't, they don't get along very well in the forums of their various websites. But uh, I think that, uh, I think if you want to really understand the hand on magic, you could do a lot worse than read Paulo's articles, you know, where he just goes into like this very, he reminds me very, very much of, of me. 
Okay. I'm Mark Schwartz, mm-hmm. uh, who is one of the one of the greatest players to ever play the game, and I, and I think Paulo is is up there in in that echelon of, of the best players. Sure. But I mean, he also in that ability to communicate, like you said, communicate the details and the nuance of a play and the implications of a play. Mm-hmm. Right? Like so much in Magic is like it's very easy to talk about a play and say, you know, I attacked and therefore I did two damage. Right, but like to understand the, Im- Im- the implication that by attacking for two damage, I now make it difficult for him to attack back with his flyer because he knows that I'm playing ball lightning and I can just play a ball lightning next turn and get in for six that he wasn't counting on and then fire blast him for the win. Exactly. Right, like, it, it's, uh, you know, that's the sort of the, 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 the impact of the play beyond the turn that it's on is where the magic in magic lies, right? Sure, and I think a big part of it is is resources, is that basically every part of the game is a resource. Like, your library is a resource. The cards in your hand are a resource. Your life is, is a resource. And I think that's what some of the, you know, what I didn't understand, you know, six months ago, was that I have to best utilize every resource, you know, that's available to me, not just the cards that are actually in play. Yeah, well, I mean, it's a resource, but it's a resource that you and your opponent negotiate the value of, right? Exactly. Your library is a resource, but sometimes it's a meaningless resource if your opponent's not, you know, going to, uh, you know, or virtually meaningless resource if your opponent's not going to uh, do anything that's going to threaten that or or play on that axis, Mm -hmm. right? Like, against the control deck, sure, you know, like, I'm playing against you and you're playing a deck with Jason, you're trying to deck me, my life is not a resource. Mm-hmm. I mean, my life is well, your, your life is your resource. Yeah. It's not a resource you're valuing. Exactly. So I can play my Sylvan Library and say, okay, I'm going to pay eight life and draw two extra cards. Sure, yeah. I can do that until I'm done with that one. <laughs> yeah, and that's actually what I think is great about these, the new Phyrexia set, is I think it really brings the idea of life as a resource to players, because I don't think we've seen that. You know, that's not pressed into newer players right away, but these new Phyrexia cards actually force you to think about that, you know, from the get-go. Yeah, I had a, I had a draft in the FPCG player weekend that Mike won. I was, I was, I got there a little late, so I was just doing side drafts. But I had a draft where I was at, my opponent packed me for one, and when I beat him, I was at three life. The only thing damage my opponent did to me was an attack for one. <laughs> the rest of it was, Paying, uh, paying life for Sundering Canadons and for uh, Dismember. So I paid 16 life, uh, I paid 16 life to, uh, to, to play my spells. <laughs> Alright, All right. so, um, moving on to the next question. Um, let's see, did we ask this one? No, I don't think we asked this one. So, um, a lot of people want to know what your favorite uh, mechanic in Magic uh, is or was. Uh, my favorite mechanic was probably uh, Splice onto Arcane. Okay. Which is uh, Champions of Kamigawa block. Mm-hmm. And so I love, uh, I'm, a, I'm a well-known lover of a glacial ray, and I love drafting the you know, multiple glacial ray, multiple lava spike, multiple consuming vortex, <laughs> uh, deck. Yeah. More, more than almost any deck I've ever drafted. 
much the same thing we do, so we're right there with you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I also have very sweaty hands, so my foils tend to be shed by the time I get them out of a draft. <laughs> Sounds about right. So, uh, Brian, how much time do we have left with you? Uh, you know, we're good. We can talk for a little bit. I'm, uh, let's see what time it is. Hold on one second. Yeah, sure. Yeah, get another 10 minutes. Okay, perfect. So, um, we pretty much flew through a lot of the questions we wanted to ask, so it would be great just to have you hop in in the discussion we're going to have. Uh, we are kind of talking a little bit about deck building and card evaluation, which I think you could obviously add some great insights into. Okay. So uh, last week we talked a lot about um, this idea, and I'll go over it again uh, for our listeners who didn't tune in last week and for you, uh, Brian, that um, we have this idea that a lot of people understand um, power uh, when they talk about cards. They understand like playing a lightning bolt um, for one mana and the power of being able to deal three damage you know, in a flexible way at instant speed, is, it's a powerful spell. Um, but what we think a lot of people don't understand is like, is the richness of cards is what we call it. And I guess some other people would, would somewhat equate it to value. Um, and we talked about how um, when you play like your primeval titan, like the powerful part is when you get two lands right away when you play it. But, like, the rich part of the card is that every time you attack with it, you know, you're getting another two lands, and so, like, its repeatable effect on the state of the game, you know, creates this richness effect. Do you kind of get what I'm going at there? Sure. So, so basically, some people wrote in, and, and they said, you know, should we be calling that utility? And, you know, our idea of utility is, is more about, like, the different options that a card has. Um, so like a, a, like into the royal would be like a spell with a lot of utility to it because obviously it targets a ton of different stuff. Sure. And so I was just wondering if you had any. Sure. I mean, I guess cards are just like I, I think. I mean, I think Mike uses the term you know flagship. Like a card you're just gonna build a deck around. Like primeval Titan is not 
some kind of interchangeable car, mm-hmm. right? Uh, Into the Royal could easily be beef within. It could easily be, um, uh, you know, a divine offering. It could be a lightning bolt, right? Like it's just it's there to do a job. It's, it's there to answer a question. Sure. But it's not it's not the deck that's gonna that's gonna win you a game. Sure. And it might help you win a game. And the card that's gonna win you your game is primeval type or yeah. chase or something with an ongoing you have to find your into the royal or your divine offering or your beast within you know, something that says you have to answer this card. Sure. Right? I it, it's, it's like the demanding nature of the card is it, what makes it so Powerful. Yeah, so well, we we used kind of a similar analogy. We used like kind of a car running, and we said the engine of the deck. So let's just take Cobblade for example. Like the engine is like Jace, Stoneforge, you know, Mana League, arguably Preordain. Like those are the things that are in the deck to make it run, you know, efficiently and give it its power. But then like the accessory cards are like the Inn of the Royals, the Condemns, you know, how many spell pierce, maybe Tumble Magnet, maybe Day of Judgment, stuff like that. Man, how how far has Rafa gone for Day of Judgment? <laughs> it's alright. Actually you know, it's like a pre it's like a <laughs> what's uh what's funny is you just hit upon that's actually my favorite card in all of standard, which is why Wally's laughing is uh is I just love me some Day of Judgment. <laughs> because it, it, I think you it's... Have more, you have more full art Day of Judgment than I have, like, mountains in my collection. <laughs> that is true. I think I have, like, every full art Day of Judgment in, like, the Midwest. <laughs> but, um, I don't know. It's just the card I always, like, I cast it, and, like, their face always falls. And I just kind of love that little moment where I'm like, yep, <laughs> I had yeah, it. I never, I never Exactly. Well, that's what. Please pick up your marbles and put them in the garbage. <laughs> exactly. Well, it's just it's such a great it, and like even just in terms of like competitive, like it's just such a great value card. Like yeah, you can like path and you can path or you know swords or you know doom blade or whatever your weapon choice is. It's like or you can just let them you know stack up a nice board and then just boom, <laughs> wipe them yeah, away. It's very interesting to watch. Very interesting to watch great players play in a
Exactly. It's like a it's like a game of chicken almost, where they both stare at each other and uh, and see who's gonna who's gonna swerve first. <laughs> Ultimate, uh, the bluff for the read. <laughs> nice. Yeah, it's funny you talk about that, that richness of cards. It's, uh, it's one of the reasons I, I always, uh, I love Ross Titan so much. It's because it's such that, that ability to, to, to answer the other Titan. Oh, for sure. Yeah, what's uh, what's funny is in our metagame, like Mono Green got really hot and Valakit got really hot. And I just started putting, and this was probably about the same time, like, you know, like, the competitive circuit was doing it. Yeah, I just started putting Frost Titan in my deck, and, you know, people were like, what are you doing? And I was like, well, it, it seems to answer everything I'm afraid of. <laughs> and they're like, what are you talking about? I'm like, well, like, you play Primeval Titan, I just have it down. <laughs> Bash for six. <laughs> like... <laughs> All right, nice. That's <laughs> another. Yeah, Metamorph seems really fun. Uh, yeah, that's, that's definitely one of my favorite cards in the set. We uh, I did a draft uh, on uh, on on Magic Online the other day, and I uh, I played a uh, called Asa Flame Fiend. You know, sacrificed my art one artifact on the board, drew a card. I guess it was a uh, I think it was a Hicker Hicker Wallspring. Okay. And then I was out of artifacts. I drew uh, my flexi metamorph, copied my cold off a flame fiend, and it's still an artifact. It's yeah. sacrificed it to itself to so, deal the final sword damage to my opponent. <laughs> wow. I bet you his, his... Yeah, I wish you could see his face. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely the, the downside of doing that on Moto, is that you don't get to see, uh, you don't get to see your opponent's facing and make a cold play. Yeah, video cam feature. They need it. <laughs> um, so, so, uh, you got like, probably got a big trip coming up. Um, what are you excited about? What do you expect? Uh, you know, for the uh, next couple of weeks here, as we kind of get into like pretty, pretty intense bout of magic coming up. I'm sorry. I, was, I said you just got a, you got a few weeks here. You know, a bunch of pro tours, grand prix. You'll probably be in most of them, obviously. You know, what are, what are you maybe most excited about, or what do you expect to see, or just kind of maybe your thoughts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, for Standard, you yeah. know, we get to see what, you know, maybe Standard will look like next year. People sort of lay that groundwork for the Standard format mm-hmm. uh, in block. So I'm really excited to see what people can do with Swerving Pod and Grand Architect and see how people answer the white wingy decks that have been so dominating in the, you know, uh, Magic Online Daily event so far. Yep. Uh, you know, and just saying, this is, this is really where... The brewmasters shine. Exactly. Right? 
Exactly. So, you know, anything can be possible. Yeah, so what's really... I'm pretty excited about that. I'm pretty excited. It's the one draft competing year. So I love, I love talking about drafts, so I'm excited for... I'm excited for the draft copy. Cool, yeah. What's uh, what's interesting about Block for like kind of maybe us looking in on the Pro Tour just on the outskirts is that um, like it's a format like you said it's, nobody knows it. You know, there's, it's it's kept the most secret. Like I feel like a lot of decks leak out or like a lot of decks are happened upon at the same time. You know, like disparate elements. Like you know, even Cobblade. Like you know, the Japanese brought you know like very close versions to Cobblade, you know, to the same tournament, you know, that Channel Fireball did. Um, so it kind of happened at the same time, but Block is like this super secretive, you know, format, and, and people just kind of come and see what it's like. So it, it seems like it's going to be a lot of fun. Right. You'll see a lot of people approaching the same card or the same linear strategy, but, you know, how, yeah, how, does, how does the group from Japan take it? How does this Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think I remember correctly the last block tournament. Um, I mean, Jace was obviously like extremely prominent. Um, the other deck that was played around with was the Beastmaster deck, which I don't think ever really worked out, but it really highlighted the power of Jace. Uh, so I think, yeah, there was some definitely some telling signs from that one. So Brad seems to be playing a lot of events this year. Do you see any chance of him repeating? Uh, you know what? If he does, if he does well in this run of events, so you know, this Providence, which he didn't do too well in, but now Singapore, Nagoya, and then Kansas City, which is more than he's ever sort of consecutively traveled for an event before. Mm-hmm. He can pick up 14 points in that stretch, which I guess is what he needs to level up. He said he's going to destroy everything down the, the last few years. Wow, alright. So, so, you know, I mean, he won the title last year going to really the bare minimum amount of events he could go to. You know, just like the U.S. Nationals. Yeah, just the domestic ones. Yeah. Yep, yeah. He goes everything. I don't see any reason he couldn't repeat. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, you know, I've I've uh, I've never seen him play in person, but I, I've heard that not only is he good at magic, but he has almost like an aura. Maybe you could speak to that at all, like a, kind of like almost intimidation around him. You know, when he sits down to play. His his, his mental game is his, his table presence is as fine as any players I've ever seen. Yeah, which which I also think is something that you know, without going to go see it. Um, is something that isn't uh, isn't talked about enough is that kind of table presence that a lot of players bring. Yeah, absolutely. I remember uh, I remember Pro Tour, I think it was Pro Tour Kobe, which was a 
draft popping. There's a Gandalf Merkel Wonder event. He's a, you know, kind of a, kind of an afterthought player. He's not someone who's gone on to do anything since. But I mean, what's really impressive is he's playing really able in the finals of Pro Tour. And if you watch the, the video of it, he has this super aggressive style of play where he's like pushing his cards almost into the half of the table that should be Willie Adels. <laughs> and he's just like, and he's leaning over the table and Willie's leaning back away from the table throughout, throughout the whole match. Uh-huh. And he's just constantly encroaching on Willie's uh, territory, right? And, yep. and, and, you know, and, and when push comes to shove at the end of the tournament, uh, and Willie has to finally, you know, make this kind of like alpha strike to win the game, he's, you know, he, he, he's off like he, he yeah, he makes a mistake, really. He, he, he reads one more turn uh, to attack. He's going to win. But, like, I, re- I really feel like he was just off balance the whole game. And as a result, just didn't really do the math properly. Hmm. And, 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 it's a, and it's definitely a case where you see someone table present. I, I really feel impacting the game. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, so uh, I think we're, you know, about wrapping up. Um, Brian, is it? <laughs> hey, perfect. Fantastic. Well, is there anything else you want to add? We usually, anything else you want? Yeah, for sure. So uh, thank you uh, so much, Brian. We we really appreciate uh, having you on, obviously, and hopefully you can do it again sometime in the future. And, um, yeah, we love your stuff, like we said. Uh, keep bringing it to us. Uh, keep making those pro players talk. Well, listen, you got the next, you know, just a weekend away. We'll be coming to you from the Fantastic. Awesome. Well, uh, I'm going to keep you on the phone just for one more second, but we're going to sign off the cast right here. And uh, we hope you guys all enjoyed, and uh, we'll see you again next week. Yep. Bye, guys.